Hello, and welcome to a jam-packed edition of Expanding Horizons. As always, I'm your host, LB, and joining me is my cohort in crime, CT. Hello, everybody. So why is this month's episode so jam-packed? Well, that would be because we broke the usual rule of only watching series that were a maximum of 26 episodes, and each assigned each other a series that blows way past that. For myself, I spent the last month or two watching the 48-episode shonen romantic comedy from 1987, Kimiguri Orange Road, and for CT, he watched a 47-episode series from 2005. 15 assassination classroom so the reason why these series were chosen was because i wanted to kick off 2020 with a bang and i thought what better time than now to break out some of our all-time favorites uh so and that's the reason why i chose assassination classroom for cts because it's been my favorite uh, ever since I first watched it a few years ago. But why did you choose KOR for me? Was it a similar reason or? Well, it it's certainly a similar reason in that it looms large uh, for me as a uh, personal favorite for a variety of reasons. But as you know, uh, my all-time favorite uh, at this point is Space Brothers, and my number two has been Chihaya Furu, so I'm, you know, in the midst of enjoying season three. But uh, as I also well know, you are fully versed on those, so I cannot expand your horizons by any stretch of the imagination. Although I don't know if you've read the Space Brothers manga. Uh, but <laughs> in in this case... Because, as you say, you are uh, breaking the rules, I decided to break a few extra rules to bring uh, Orange Road in. Uh, there, there are a number of connective tissues, not just being a uh, amongst one's favorite uh, shows. Uh, but in this case, you have had a general rule. We haven't stuck to it precisely, but uh, you prefer anime recommendations from 2000 and above. Uh, of course, we did one without Lost Star. That's just before. So that that's on the border enough that, uh, that obviously you're in the same wheelhouse. But uh, since I started watching it in 1989, a lot of my earliest exposure was, you know, very much 80s, uh, uh, full on. So I decided to blow an 80s wild card with Orange Road. Uh, there were probably a few other reasons I might have gone for a series like Yuara, which is another favorite. Uh, slightly after that, but uh, of course it wouldn't qualify for another reason and that there's no legal outlet for it. And Orange Road lines up exactly with having, you know, the same number of episodes. Uh, you'd only get a third of the way through you are at that point. So uh, th this makes an equivalent thing. Not to mention that both of these shows... Uh, uh, the, the manga appeared in Weekly Shonen Jump. And as we all know, Shonen Jump is most well known for uh, weird 
things with aliens teaching classrooms and supernatural uh, high school romantic comedies. So I, I figured that we would go to the very core of what Shonen Jump does so well. Uh, <laughs> and, and we could uh, uh, settle things once and for all. Which of these series is the best Shonen Jump title? I, I figure we are fully qualified in uh, determining that right here, right now. Okay. Uh, so, as mentioned, uh, Kimigori Andro, just to give a nice little synopsis for people who aren't familiar with this series. Um, as mentioned, this is a shonen romantic comedy from 1987. It adapts the manga of the same name by Izumi Matsumoto. Uh, basically, the main idea behind this series is that the main character is a teenager with psychic powers named Kiyosuke. He and his sisters have special abilities, including telekinesis and teleportation, which means they've had to move around a lot to keep people from learning their secret. They have other powers as well, but those don't get mentioned. Well, sometimes they do. Like the time travel one power gets mentioned a little more often than it probably needs to be, but we'll get into that later. Very, very convenient powers. Yes, yeah. Like, there like we changing go. the text on a sign. There we go. <laughs> Notable so, ESP powers. Yeah, so eventually, however, the main story starts, which is a love triangle that Kiyosuke gets involved in with two girls who happen to be friends, uh, Madoka Ayakawa and Hikaru Hiyama. Uh, and over the course of 48 episodes, many, many general romantic comedy hijinks ensues uh, until we get to the movie, which finally settles things once and for all. Or at least from what I read of the plot description, I never got around to watching the movie. Uh, so yeah, but that's the general idea behind this series. And let's see, where do I even begin with this one? Uh, let's see, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me first get one thing out of the way. I do have a bias against older series. I generally don't like them for various reasons uh one big reason is i don't like the aesthetic and character designs from that time with the poofy hair and the round heads um but that's a really cheap cop-out so i'm not gonna say that i didn't like the series just because the aesthetic the aesthetic was fine it was you know 80s which is no big deal um the big problem that I had with this series, though, is that I just couldn't get into the characters. Uh, personally, I found the most sympathetic character of the entire show was Jingaro the cat, who I felt really bad for for most <laughs> of the series. I felt so bad for that cat. And so... That's the main reason why I didn't like this series, is just because the characters grated on my nerves. I think that that pulls in a in a few directions, and I'm I'm sort of curious uh about them. I mean, one of the other reasons that I pulled Orange Road out is I think from an anime sociological 
uh, exploration perspective, it feels foundational in a number of ways for a number of things that that persist and have evolved uh, since that time, which we can get to here and there. I mean, uh, uh, what would Rin Tasaka be without uh, Ayukawa, for instance? Those oh, yeah. Are, and those are I the totally... questions for the ages. Uh, but as with people who, uh, you know, don't happen to like Citizen Kane or other things, what is foundational or what you can appreciate doesn't mean that it's going to be in your general wheelhouse. Uh, I am a little bit curious, though, as far as the, uh, excuse me, the aesthetic. There are particular artists whose art is just so far in the direction of personal distaste that I can't bring myself to watch the show. It, it doesn't, you know, constrain itself to a decade or a type or a broader aesthetic. It's just sort of these personal uh, ones. Uh, Fukumoto comes to mind, the the Kaiji guy, which which is a damn shame because I'm pretty sure I would enjoy Kaiji quite a lot, but my brain simply can't get around his particular art, which means even if you have a uh, character designer who's able to smooth it out, uh, I'm not going to lean in. Uh, but I am curious. I forget what year you started watching. I I seem to remember like 99, but uh, is that correct? Yeah, I started around the late 90s, early 2000s. I had been exposed to some early 90s stuff um, during my early teenage years, but I didn't start like actively, heavily watching anime until late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. Uh, of anything, or is there anything within you know the eighties that uh, you you have picked up and particularly enjoyed? Uh, I I tend to assume that no matter who you are and what age you pick it up, you're apt to go back and try out the early uh, Ghibli and Miyazaki films. So uh, I mean, one would generally want to give Totoro a spin or or pick up Kiki's Delivery Service or Castle of Cagliostro. Uh, those probably come up a lot, but uh, are there any from that time period that you have actively, you know, sought and enjoyed? Yeah, well, I mean, I did enjoy Akira back in high school. I enjoyed Vampire Hunter D back in that era. Uh, so, I mean, there were some titles from that era that, you know, I enjoyed, uh, especially with the art style. Vampire Hunter D in particular, I love the gothic art style of that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so that, so there are always going to be exceptions to whatever bias I might have or whatever bias anyone might have. Um, I'm not going to give out a blanket statement and say anything from, you know, the eighties or nineties is automatically <laughs> bad. Sure. You know, that's, that's just stupid. Any, um, but, uh, any TV shows or a longer OVA movies, of course, like Fist of the North Star again, Vampire Hunter D these are things that, uh, 
loom large from a anime like a history of anime perspective so you're you're apt to give them a a spin i'm curious if there are any tv series from in there that uh the mid late 80s early 90s or or even things that were kind of emblematic of the ova era like bubblegum crisis uh i did watch bubblegum crisis and crash when right stuff released them a few years ago um again the aesthetic kind of bothered me a little bit it wasn't terrible but it bothered me a bit with those uh the earliest tv series or long-running ova series that i can remember watching is record of lotus war Mm. that's that's good and i can i can certainly see that it it feels a lot less so it's just kind of i mean especially if you're into D &D or anything it is very much just hey this is high fantasy adventure uh and i can certainly see people chasing legend of galactic heroes back and and other things that span multiple decades for people who want to pick up dragon ball you know that kind of stuff they're uh-huh. they're apt to chase it uh, back in as well uh okay that 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 gives a, a bit of a feel but the the other one that i think that I'm curious about. I know you have a fairly strong shoujo connection, and uh, I would assume that mostly uh, attaches to enjoying a lot of romance stories and other stuff. But in in this case, the rom com seems rather, you know, the the domain of shonen and seinen a lot more, and uh, th- this would be. I had a hard time finding earlier examples. I, I pull a bit from uh, Mitsu Arachi, one, especially one of his uh, uh, earlier series called Miyuki, uh, who Madoka's voice actress was one of the titular Miyukis, wh- which I found amusing. There is an in-joke in Orange Road as well. I don't know if you watch that, uh, if you pick that up when they go to a movie. But uh, as far as that... I mean, it eventually leads down the the harem route, as it were, quite literally. But it, in amongst things that are more of the romantic comedy, are there ones that you, you know, how what kinds have you watched that you really enjoy, that you get into, uh, that that fit this kind of approximate formula, the uh, the the core relationship run over however many. Uh, episodes they are do do you get into the relationship do you get into the characters or might there be something about the genre that that doesn't particularly sit with you in this particular case uh i think it's worth noting that i even have this down in my notes is that if i had watched kor like 15 or 20 years ago I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. Um, It's just at that point in my life, I was a different person. I had a different view on relationships and love in general and romantic comedy. Um, And at this particular point in my life, though, I just the the relationship triangle just didn't sit well with me. It was very because Kiyosuke in general 
was just so dishonest with his feelings and constantly going back and forth between the two female leads. You know, it just didn't sit well with me. So that's the reason why this series didn't really hit home with me. Um, But like I mentioned, if I had watched this, you know, 15 years ago when I was getting into anime a lot more and or even 20 years ago when I was first starting. Yeah, I really could have seen myself enjoying this quite a bit. And and that'll of of course come up when whatever you feel like asking me or other things, but just to spin off that, I was of course precisely Kyosuke's age when I watched this and maybe a couple dozen anime into watching anime in general. So it is hard for Kyosuke to be more of a spirit animal to my uh, youthful uh, uh, psyche. So there, there is something to be said for that. But uh, in this case, what I mean is of similar things that are rom-coms that you may have watched recently, is it a thing that you still get into and does it just matter if, uh, you know, things are handled better? Because obviously you can have, you know, kind of lackadaisical harem-y things. Uh, I think you watched and and I did, uh, for instance, Kiss Him, Not Me, which is... uh, pretty lighthearted uh fluff but uh but but entertaining but if there's something that's closer to simply a romantic comedy with a ro- romantic triangle that you've watched within the past couple years after obviously the uh the the more adulting that you have done yeah uh, is that simply does it feel like something that you may have simply moved beyond in a in a genre perspective or a or a style perspective at this point i wouldn't say that i've moved past a genre entirely there are still you know some examples of romance anime that i enjoy um within the last couple of years this is going to sound really weird but uh (laughs) honestly yeah honestly one of the one thing that I really enjoyed within the last couple of there's actually been a couple of series within the last couple of years that I enjoyed the relationship aspect of it. Uh, they're both series that are that flew well under people's radars, prop and not many people watch them as far as I'm aware. But one is and you thought there was never a girl online. Mm-hmm. That one, it was really lighthearted fluff, but I enjoyed the way that they handled the relationship aspect. The other series is a harem series that the series in general wasn't that good, and I've never watched it since, but it was uh, In Another World with my smartphone. (laughs) Sorry, that was an unexpected answer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I trust me. I totally get that. But yeah, that one was another one where they ha- it was very much a harem series, but I liked the way that they handled it. I liked that there wasn't a whole bunch of jealousy being thrown around. There weren't characters who were upset about the harem. It was just everyone was getting along. 
and everyone just decided, yeah, you know what? We're in a harem now. This is how it works. <laughs> and I really liked that. Uh, I thought it was really charming. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, the series itself wasn't that good, but the relationship aspect really worked for me and I really enjoyed that. Uh, okay, you, you've. it sounds like you're keeping it more steered. You, you did mention going in romance in general, and of course I think there are a number of well-handled good romance, but again, you, you tend to get the best examples of that kind of thing through shoujo. So Fruits Basket, of course, we are getting in, in modern uh, uh, series. Uh, what is it? Snow White with the Red Hair. There are plenty of excellent romance that still come out that you can invest in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those are series, what you mentioned, Fruits Basket and Snow White. Those are both series that, yeah, I really enjoyed. They just didn't come out within the last couple of years, so they didn't strike, they didn't come no, to that, mind. Yeah, that, I, I was trying to widen it a, a little bit more than just uh, a couple years. Uh, it, it's also, I've found it hard, and maybe you can think of a bit more, but I've found it hard to get the kind of style match it. It feels like it, it's mentioned as if it's very common, but I'm not so sure that it is the whole, here's the romantic triangle, uh, this is just going to rom-com around for a while, and you'll get it from the, the shoujo end and the shonen end in, in shoujo. You know, obviously it will be different people as part of the triangle, but you tend to always have that dynamic in there but one will be more of a, uh, you know, it'll, it'll sort of be more about actual drama and romantic progression. And then in the other angle, you kind of get the, uh, uh, the sitcom stuff with wheel spinning. And that seems to feel like it, why it evolved for the, the shonen end to something either more uh, uh, just straight up harami in general uh, with occasional examples. I don't know if you've watched Toradora. I think I oh, yeah. saw that you had. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great series. Right. That's, that's a modern one, but it's not it's a romantic confusion sort of thing, but it's not a romantic triangle sitcom-y here here's the fun that we're going to have. We've established this dynamic and now we're just going to play with it until we feel like wrapping up. Yeah. I I have a hard time thinking of uh, another series that that fits it. It feels like there were a few that came out directly in, in the wake of uh, Orange Road, including on uh, Shonen Jump, like strawberry 100% and things like that, where they basically took the precise dynamic and just steered it more etchy and panty shot filled. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's hard for me to see that dy dynamic out of Shonen at this point. It, it feels very much like you, you'll see it in Shoujo before and now, but you kind of don't get it in Shonen, even, even though uh, Orange Road feels like one of those things that was foundational in a way, but uh, it, it kind of feels like Urusei Atsura, Orange Road, and Ranma went through the romantic comedy hijinks-filled 
trajectory and now everything else you know has has gone down the harem route as it were <laughs> uh, again that comes up a lot but i i feel like i'm not seeing the same kind of thing anymore and i i haven't been able to come up with good examples uh so torador and golden time same author are both good they're both more adult they both have actual romantic progression you tend to be able to get into the characters uh it's a lot less sitcom-y i think you get you get certain dynamics through ones that have other focus i, I mentioned uh, uh, mitsuru arachi before uh, he does very good ones a lot of the times that will have their own romantic triangle He's, of course, comedic, so he will have his comedy elements in it. But, you know, the, the vehicle is different uh, and normally baseball. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, even, but even those kind of go to less of a triangular dynamic and more of a will they, won't they, when, when and how do they bear their hearts to each other and you find out that, uh, you know, they've liked each other all along sort of thing. I'm, I'm not sure, but, uh, if, if you can think of anything as we go along, let, let's wrap back into, I guess, the direct dynamic of, of Orange Road and, and, uh, what you got going through the episodes, but it, mm-hmm. it felt like a lot of this, I think, hinges on the, uh, uh, the underpinnings. Where uh, I know I digressed a bit, but where where would you want to start? Just going through, you know what what stood out to you. Uh, obviously, you you were not totally invested in what what kind uh, uh, what kind of things were you invested in specifically that did stand out, and what about it uh, outside of what was mentioned? You know, struck you differently, or. Uh, similarly poorly as it were i would have been fine with this series honestly even if the main even though the main characters graded on me a little bit i think such a large portion of this series was spent on the supporting characters that if i had liked them a little bit more this series, again, would have been much more favorable with me. The problem is, is that the side characters, I kept waiting, 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 waiting for certain things to happen. Like this, like his best friends in the classroom who keep hitting on his little sisters. Komatsu and Hata, the... Uh... Yeah. The thing is, is that with them, I was really hoping that they were going to get this short, it didn't have to be a long story arc, just a short one that kind of redeemed them a little bit and didn't paint them. And it kind of explained why they were such annoying, pervy prats. Um, But they never got that. They stayed static throughout the entire run of the TV series, which kind of bugged me a little bit. I really wanted to see them progress a little bit, and I wanted to see a different side to them than what we were shown throughout all 48 episodes. I can see that. Uh, For me, they're they're kind of... 
KOR due to how early I got to it and it being sort of the first exposure to, well, anything romance to uh, anything high school based. I mean, Project Echo technically took place in a high school, but I, I don't think that counts. No, uh, really. <laughs> Gunbuster as well. Technically, they started in a school, but you know there was Mecha doing push-ups, so uh, that yeah, again, not quite the same thing. Uh, there are so many establishment uh, tropes, and Komatsu and Hata just feel like you know, okay, new main character moving in uh, uh, to school. That this obviously happens a lot in series here here's the setup the main character has just come to this school he sits next to a desk the people he makes friends with immediately are idiots and uh probably perverts if if you're uh, if you're a shonen if you're vaguely etchy if you're uh in the rom-com area it it feels like this is a given uh <laughs> and and indeed that's what they are and that is what they remain you get a bit more uh, from uh, Kurumi and Manami, and they also very much fit. Like, if you mention the Emoto, my brain literally goes back to the two of them, because that's, you know... At this point, it's usually just the one, but, uh, uh, you know, having younger sisters, the... Uh, they still represent that, but they, they're a vehicle for telling other girl stories which don't have to, uh, uh, you know, involve Kyosuke as a foil uh, and can explore other areas a little bit. But uh, yeah, they, they, don't, they don't get to advance terribly. They just get more to do than uh, Komatsu and Hata. What what about Yusaku, the the mighty fourth member to this uh, 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 to this ro romantic uh, shape? I mean, he's loved Hikaru for a while, so so that means something, right? Yusaku was just kind of there for me. I didn't have a particularly strong opinions for him. I felt bad for... I did feel bad for him because Hikaru does kind of treat him pretty badly. <laughs> so I did feel... I did feel pretty bad for him at times, but then there were other times when he was just so forceful that it was like okay, maybe he deserves a little bit of what he's getting because he can't seem to take no for an answer. So that was part of, so that was part of it. I went kind of back and forth on him. I have, I have notes on him scattered throughout my list of, you know, different things that I noticed. Uh, I thought, for instance, I thought it was interesting in episode like 27 that he brags a lot about his martial arts but he then he gets his ass kicked by a gang when he's trying to protect Hikaru and it's like okay that was a lot of build up for nothing for someone whose introduction includes him punching a dent in a, uh, a street light and then straightening it with his bare hands 
indeed, uh, as much as that's part of him, he doesn't seem to use it functionally. Yeah, uh, very much. And he, and then he loses that tournament later on, and yeah, it's just like he's supposed to be this really strong, tough guy, but he gets his ass kicked a lot. The uh, yeah, well, I that that feels again sort of like a uh, a shonen romance limitation wherein if you have a guy who can seriously be a part of the uh, uh, the fixture you have to change the romantic dynamic so they they have to be more of a foil because your main character has to have the focus the whole time it was not built as a an actual you know square for them to figure out and maybe hey the the people who started up with each other ended up crossing over at some point. So uh, he's put in there to be a uh, uh, one of the gang, but uh, he he is not a player in the game. Yeah, Ayuko, meanwhile, in episode one, beats up a basically a, a gang of uh, hoodlums four times her size. So. That, that establishes something pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I actually... I remember one of the things that struck me about that first episode was the fight scene where Hikaru gets saved. And it struck me as interesting at how simple and basic the animation was when I'm so used to these detailed special effects heavy fight scene from modern era and it was just so simple but it was still effective but it was just so different from what i'm used to seeing also from your lead heroines certainly of that time Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so uh (laughs) if if you if you're keeping your uh Discord. Yeah, uh, yeah, I see. <laughs> but uh, certainly, it leaves an effect. Although, interestingly, I'll I'll have to divert a bit. That was not my first impression of Ayukawa, uh, because how I picked up the show was uh, this was back in the day when. Uh, all I really had access to were Raws that were being dubbed on tapes and shared around at a college club. I had a, uh, as a freshman in high school, I didn't have access to anything, but a friend had a brother, I'm pretty sure, who was in college, and this was, you know, just coming out and being a thing. Uh, people are like, especially a bunch of guys, if they see something like uh, Wicked City or or... Demon City, Shinjuku, Fist of the North Star, Vampire Hunter D, all of these things are like, holy crap, what is this cartoon, man? Uh, So I would give him tapes, he would bring them and just uh, go to the, uh, send them along and they would end up at the uh, uh, dub, get recorded with whatever they had newly gained access to and come back to me with a random assortment. And sometimes, as is in the case of Orange Road, uh, it was particularly random. And I have a, a 
a similar story in a in a way uh, regarding Ranma, which is how it sticks with me. But uh, of things that I was watching early on, like my first tape had a couple episodes of Bubblegum Crisis, so that was my my first look. But things like Grey Digital Target, Megazone Two Three Part One, uh, the Dirty Pair movie. Uh, we're pretty much all on the the first tape that I got. There's a lot of focus on sci-fi, a lot of focus on, you know, obviously ludicrous martial arts and and fantasy. So Venus Wars and Dungahyo and Gunbuster, so mecha stuff. Uh, Orange Road was the first uh, TV series that I got anything of. But what I got was episodes five, six, seven, and eight. And I'm not sure how many years that was all I had access to. But what I was rewatching were those four episodes. Five, six, seven, eight. When I was recording music back in that time, I was holding a, a stereo up to the television, uh, which, of course, the television only had mono speakers. So therefore, I was making my own soundtracks of anything I wanted from all of the anime and listening to them on my Walkman. You know, I'm living up all mm-hmm. in the 80s here. Uh, so <laughs> Orange Road was cemented for me specifically from four episodes on repeat watch for a number of years before I had access. I think I gained some of the other ones raw for a bit, but it would... Uh, it would take a while before I would gain access to to anything. Uh, a comic shop a number of years later would start getting in uh, subtitled anime, especially uh-huh. a lot of Animego uh, stuff. So we would rent uh, Urusei Yatsura, Tenchi, uh, uh, Orange Road, other stuff. So that this would have been, you know, in the 96, 97 range. So... Uh, that's probably that's the only time that I got more of the show. Uh, and in fact, uh, after I went to my first convention, I pre-ordered the Orange Road laser discs. And then I ordered my fir- the first account that I made on uh, eBay was in order to get an LD player. Uh, <laughs> so... My my approach to the series was weird. It was mostly raw. I did get access to like the OVAs later, so I would watch a bunch of the OVAs subtitled later. Then I got the whole series on Laserdisc. So only at that point uh, was I able to to actually watch the whole show and and share it with other people. So uh, my. Uh, but my first impression of Ayuka in this case was not as a, you know, a smoking delinquent street tough. It was her working a hidden part-time job and them uh, working together, her walking in on him without his shirt on, uh, the, and then the bus stop scene. So there, there are a number of things that, that sat with me, but it, it sat in an entirely different way. Because the other thing, of course, I didn't actually have the the dialogue to go with it. So it would be years before I knew actually what was being said. I don't think I I found BBS uh, scripts for this. So 
there there are a number of reasons why certain things will will sit with me and i think the the weird way that i got into watching anime in general has a lot to do with it and orange road in particular uh-huh but uh but ayukawa was definitely you know a a waifu before the concept had been uh uh cemented so she she loomed large in a uh, 14 15 year old boy's psyche that's for sure <laughs> yeah i mean i can totally understand that you know cuz i mean i have series from when i was first getting started with anime that stuck with me hardcore i mean sakura wars princess 9 uh those are early series that remained you know favorites of mine for many years afterwards simply because they were so un- early on in my anime career and so unlike you know what i had seen before so you know they stuck with me really hard um you know as you know princess nine has been replaced since then but it still holds a very special place in my heart because of what it meant to me for so long only by one thing though right yeah only by one thing i'm not sure where i mean i don't like ranking things the i'm fine with space brothers and shihaya furu as one and two simply because i think in many ways they're there's just an untouchable quality for them of course i only mean tv series i don't rank movies uh, in the same list but uh after that, I'm just kind of, you know what, my mood fluctuates things. Uh, you know, how long has it been since I've watched a show? Did I listen to a soundtrack recently? <laughs> Timing uh, changes everything. So uh, I don't know how Orange Road ranks if I'm putting it on a pure rank. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have to agree that I try not to rank things too much. I mean, I'm fine with saying Princess Nine was my all-time favorite for a long time, and then Assassination Classroom came along and usurped it. Um, or assassinated it. That too. Yeah. Uh Beyond that, I'm not willing to really say, you know, I have series that I consider, you know, favorites, but I don't know where they would rank on a list. I tried ranking my favorite series once a few years ago, and it didn't go very well. <laughs> that would be, uh, that would be interesting. Yeah, so, you know, so I wouldn't say that I have, like, a solid list of you know this is my sixth all-time favorite series this is my fourth all-time favorite series you know like assassination classroom i can say that that's my number one series just because of the strong sentiment that i feel towards it someday it will be replaced i don't know what's going to replace it but someday something is going to come along that surpasses it uh i don't know when but you know that's just, I know that's how, you know, human nature works. That's a, an interesting word to use, I think. Uh, sentiment. 
although you'd think it feels like something that is like, oh, well, that explains uh, Kimagure Orange Road for me. It's sentimental in in a way, in a number of ways. The show itself, you know, when I was picking up anime, what I what I was doing uh, at the time, how I interface with it now, if and when. Uh, but as classes, of course, from uh, uh, 2015. Yes. So sentimental doesn't feel like quite the right word to use. And I'm trying to think how to apply it, because you'd think like, Sentimental then for me would mean, well, why isn't Bubblegum Crisis mine? That was literally my first uh, anime that I watched. I mean, not technically Robotech and and some of the early broadcast dubs came before, but I I count it uh, from Bubblegum Crisis on. Dirty Pair Project Eden stuck with me, but, you know, Megazone 2, 3, and Venus Wars didn't. Great Digital Target didn't. And most of them have had poor access. So, you know, there there's still other things going going on. So, uh, it, you know, you, you wonder how it all goes. What what kind of excuses are made for one series over another? Do, you know, Devil Hunter Yoko, Project Aiko, they, all of it loomed large in the community and the, and large on my watch and rewatch and share with friends uh, at a certain point, but it's not like any of that has lasted. So there's a smattering of stuff from that time that, uh, that I want. Like, I would literally kill for uh, legal Macross Do You Remember Love? But the... Uh, the actual Super Dimension Fortress Macross series doesn't uh, doesn't mean the same thing to me in the same way. I'd I'd be fine with Vampire Hunter D, but you know I could care less about Fist of the North Star. What what is it that uh, that sticks? It's probably the reason that Nausicaa remains my favorite Miyazaki. Uh, it's very much that kind of thing the sentiment and and part of that time especially because i was uh using that particular one to compare japanese dialogue versus uh an english dub which was notorious and what caused miyazaki to declare no cuts from then on (laughs) and you will not edit my my anime and he was like the only guy who could actually demand that and of course for me if uh you know a lot of my list has been topped by works from uh, what's it, Space Brothers and Chihai Furu is uh, all this decade, of course, like 2011, 2012, starting. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Rakugo. That started in 2016, so even newer than Ass Class. So uh, obviously there there is the good story or what is it that speaks to you specifically, and I can I can go on at much more length about Space Brothers. What about the plot and course of the show speaks to me? I don't really have that same thing with Orange Road. And yet, kind of the same thing with Yuara. Yuara is, eh, I, I think maybe Urusei Yatsura is my most, the, like, the series with the longest, most number of episodes that I've watched. But I... Uh, 
Yuara and Space Brothers are some of the few that are that hit the uh, hundred episode mark. So Yuara uh, uh, sticks with me, and I keep trying to proselytize that to other people as well. But there is there, there is still a lot of uh, when you're in kind of the sports and sports arcing. I'm I'm not going to say that Yuara's sports arc appeals to me more than uh, Chihaya Furu's or Cross Games. Uh, the, those are masterful, and Yuara's isn't, but there's still going to be something about it that uh, that that speaks to me, but is hard hard to put to words. And sentiment helps, but I I, I kind of want to uh, create a formula. I want to do science to it, but uh, I suppose the way that our monkey brains go, there isn't a whole lot of science that can be done to uh, to to this sort of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing you said before, uh, you kind of vaguely hit on. It sounded like you were kind of surprised that I attached sentiment to a series that was so recent as of 2015. Right. Um, which, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's fine to attach sentiment to something that's recent. Um, I don't, because the way that I'm using the word is assassination classroom really hit me on a deep emotional level i've written about it in the past um how the ending in particular of assassination classroom really hit me hard and we're talking like ugly tears <laughs> when uh, i it yeah, doesn't well, take any challenge to uh, to make me tear up and and amusingly well, not amusingly, but I I wish I could have gone in without the knowledge that to a lot of people, the ending is one of those that is, it gets notorious mention in the community as, uh, you know, just hard hitting, tear jerking kind of, uh, kind of thing. So I'm like, yeah. it, it would have been, I would have liked to go into that particular bit blind. I, so I knew what was coming no matter what. Uh, and I guess you get that a lot. It's not like uh, we, we can certainly uh, count other series in which because, you know, people ask for, oh, I had a good cry at this thing. What are other series? And, you know, you have five or six immediate mentions. So, you know, going in. Uh, uh, you're almost always spoiled on what will ultimately happen. Uh, it is, of course, the process that makes it meaningful. But <laughs> even still, it would be uh, it would be nice. There, there are certain shows that became that that I was glad that I was watching, you know, uh, at the time. So therefore, I could not be spoiled on that. And I'm not sure if you. Uh, what did you watch Assassination Classroom like at the time uh, while it was broadcasting, or did you catch up a bit later? I actually only started it like maybe a couple of months after it first started airing. I watched the first couple of episodes. I enjoyed it. I put it on hold for a little while. Uh, and then after about 
half of the first season had been released in English, I started picking, I picked up the dub. Uh, and from that point on, I just blew through it. As soon as an episode was up, it was appointment viewing for me. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that that's of course what Space Brothers became for me. Uh, and I'm sure I would have eventually found out about it. Uh, I forget when your JTOR episode was there there's a time period where i was searching out a lot of anime podcasts so uh i i came across uh the jtor am and you guys were doing the weekly stuff and space brothers just sounded very interesting so that's when i was able to dive in and of course that one uh became appointment viewing in fact it became broad like minute of broadcast viewing on crunchyroll uh, simultaneously shared with my friend in Japan who I got into it. So uh, I'd be up at, I forget when, it was like 10 a.m. on Saturday and he'd be up at, uh, th- you know, the other end of the clock. So we'd we'd finish the episode and then he'd be like, I have to go to sleep. So <laughs> we'd, we'd chat about it later. Uh, yeah. But, uh, and I ended it with yet another friend in California who I got into it. So we had uh, th- three person immediate uh, viewing of it. And, and that I think, of course, not that it wouldn't have been a favorite anyway, even if I were to only watch it at this point and come to it new. But that's the, that's the kind of thing that I think helps really cement something. So Chihai uh, Furu, I came to. I think uh, it was after season one, but then I watched season two uh, as it was broadcasting. So I was getting into the streaming biz at that point. So we've kind of, yeah, yeah, we've kind of hit on Assassination Classroom a little bit so far, but I want to go ahead and I want to just kind of dive into it a little bit more. So just to get people caught up, like I said, we've been talking a little bit about it here and there throughout our discussion so far, but just so to get people caught up, what were your impressions of that series? What was the general story that you found throughout themes? Uh, anything of that sort that you'd like to discuss? Well, do we have to give it a, a quick pre first? Because we didn't... Uh... Or do we assume that anyone listening to this either already knows or is going to, uh, 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 or or is going to uh, look it up prior to listening? Uh, I always <laughs> like to give a little, a little primer uh, before we get into the nitty gritty. But I mean, if you want to skip it, we can. Well, no, no, no. I th- I think it. I think it helps cement the sort of the immediate effect, anyway, because I, I think it has, grounding wise, I think it has an immensely good first episode and first approach. Okay. Uh, so this is one of those things, and uh, we may have to loop back around to Weekly Shonen Jump at some point. But due to my knowing that it's a Shonen Jump series, there's a certain base expectation that I probably have in the back of my head. Uh, But when starting the show, it's immediately starting with, oh, hey, here are a bunch of kids. They pull out a bunch of guns 
and they give you the uh they basically give you the story right right there what the assassination classroom is and it's like oh uh a week ago the moon exploded so you you get that striking nice uh imagery the a, a tremendous explosion happened. The moon has lost 70% of its mass. It looks like a cool crescent. Uh, at this point, uh, the, however, we are introduced to a, a classroom of uh, third-year middle schoolers who are new into their term and have picked up a new teacher uh, who is about the most ridiculous-looking teacher you can imagine. <laughs> a very alien-looking, completely round-faced, uh, scholarly-robed, uh, uh, flailing-tentacled, eternally-grinning... One, one has to assume alien, uh, because the other part is, oh, hey, this is who blew up the moon. And uh, says that uh, in a year, he is going to blow up the Earth. But you students here have the chance to assassinate this teacher. Uh, sorry, to, to the to assassinate this creature who wants to be your teacher. And if you can assassinate him before then, obviously you save the planet. And also we will give you 10 billion yen. So you will be rich beyond your wildest imagination. You will have saved the world. You just have to kill this weird-looking creature. Oh, and by the way, did we mention that he moves at Mach 20? Yep, pretty so... much. <laughs> so that is that is the setup. Uh, it's, you know, everything obviously stems from there. You don't know what the creature is. You don't know why it wants to teach a, uh, a classroom of students. You don't know why it wants to challenge them to uh, kill him within a year. Uh, you don't know anything about anything except that uh, you're in the weirdest academic setting that you can possibly imagine. And that's including a space that has the worst performing students are sent to an island where they have to kill each other. So, uh... Oh, and by the way, did I mention that this is Class E and they are the worst performing students at this school? And, uh... So we also don't know why this teacher wants to uh, uh, teach the misfits, but that is what we are introduced to. The, the poor academic performers, the misfits, the weirdos, they are the ones who are given a chance to save the world. So as far as an introduction goes, I, I think that was uh, plenty strong, both, both in the manga, which I read first, uh, as mentioned, and... Uh, in the anime as well, which which follows very closely. I don't know if you've read the manga. I would probably. Uh, yeah, I've read about eighty percent of it. I never got around to finishing it just because I it's like twenty one volumes, and I just didn't have the money to keep getting it. Uh, I'd like to. I really Viz released a complete collection about 
three or four months ago that I would love to get my hands on so that I could own this entire series and just have it in my collection. I just haven't had the means to do so. But yeah, definitely this is a series that I want to own and and read at my leisure over and over and over again it is in viz's uh shonen jump app i mean it's being re-released in the manga plus app so you can i don't know if you've been reading it as they've been releasing it a, a week at a time but all of the chapters are in the viz app including some that were outside they uh i think they gave a bit more after the live action movies came out the uh Mangaka wrote a, a few more chapters of stuff. Oh, so, cool. Uh, yeah, I actually did not know that. So that is as little as $2 a month, but, you know, I can toss you my login as well. Okay. Hopefully Viz will not uh, be listening in here and uh, and find out who I am and say, oh, no, 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 naughty, naughty, naughty. There's a limitation, though. If you're going to use my 100 chapters a day, you get to use it, not me. But we'll we'll figure something out. We'll make it happen. Uh, yeah. But it 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 is it is definitely a fun read. Uh, and I I think by the time you assigned it as an anime, and I started watching, they were coming into the finals. So that's that's how far I I was in the manga when uh, when starting in on the anime. Okay. So so pretty much just after the first core ends, like episode I guess fourteen or fifteen would be about about the right place uh so yeah it's it's definitely good setup i certainly was not sure what to expect when you're talking about uh an assassination kind of thing uh you you do expect a a level of potential violence and harshness but coming from the character design especially uh koro sensei's it, it's certainly not something. It, at that point, I assume it's going to be like a hundred percent gag, uh, and there is a whole lot of gag. So yeah, uh, <laughs> it is not without. Uh, he feels like he's very much designed for the weekly Shonen Jump audience in mind. Whether or not the author had in mind a ridiculous-looking creature whether it was something that was simply, okay, I need to make something that will have immediate uh, gratification and cover interest. Uh, the the students are fairly subdued by modern standards, I think. You, you get a bit of hair color difference here and there. You get a bit of uh, hair design difference here and there. Overall, it, it, it's fairly subdued compared to a lot of what, you know, goes around at this point it's not 90 percent spiky haired weirdos or uh, <laughs> or or like crazy ponytailed folk that that actually I'll, I'll give a short digression to see uh what you think because that's that's one of the things that going back and re-watching orange road as i just did which is part of what took this so damn long uh <laughs> I don't know how you approach each of these, but I feel compelled to watch both series. So uh, we might have to have a short rewatch discussion as well. But uh, the the designs in Orange Road, you know, poofy 80s hair is one thing, but 
everyone is kind of within a fairly tight frame of reference. And I was wondering how, what that came across from a modern sensibility and also a modern preference. I mean, the hair colors stray from kind of a light brown to a, a deep black or, you know, bluish black. Uh, so that so shading can go on uh, and very little else. Uh, so I was curious how how that sat uh, or, or how that came across uh, from your particular taste or, or sensibility from uh, uh, current shows and, and current design standards at this point. Uh, honestly, character designs are one of the things that I pay attention to least, uh, and that's something that stayed consistent throughout, uh, my run of anime. There are certain shows where I, where I will notice that they make little changes to character designs, um, which I always appreciate because I like it when the designers pay attention to little details and make little changes here and there. Uh, but for the most part, I've gotten used to the fact that character designs in anime generally don't change. And so I will appreciate a finely designed character. I like characters that are, you know, cute and moe. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, in terms of like hair color and general design, it's not the most important thing to me. So, I mean, with Assassination Classroom, the characters, I appreciate that there's a variety of designs, especially considering how large the cast is. But I wouldn't go as far to say that, you know, if the designs had had been a little more similar or there hadn't, or anything of that sort, then, you know, it would have, degraded the series for me or would have lessened my enjoyment of it because I was more uh, focused on the story and the general development of the relationships and the, and the character's growth throughout the run of the 40 plus episodes. Uh, so that was kind of my thing. With Orange Road, the designs are very simple you know, again, they don't change very much, so I didn't really think about it all that much. In in this case, I think what I was specifically asking is their level, the comparative level of, uh, let, let's call it Mukokuseki-ism. I'm not sure if that's a, uh, if that's a, a word that you've run across before. Uh, no. Uh, oh man, I forget which YouTuber I got it from, but it was, uh, it was great to know. It, it's kind of, it, it's how you, uh, uh, are designing, you're introducing design elements that don't actually mean anything. It, it's a, li literally it means statelessness, uh, or without nationality, which is how anime leans into these people have hair colors that are all over the spectrum and they have skin tones that are all over the spectrum. Uh, and yet they're all, you know, just rando Japanese people who 
in general, look within a, a fairly tight uh, uh, frame of reference, whether you're talking about the 80s or the, or the 2020s right now, uh, there's not a whole lot of difference. And while a show like Orange Road, the characters have a tight uh, uh, level of hairstyle and color, a lot of shows at this point just let designers do whatever the heck they want. And the assassination classroom, I think, has a more subdued level of it, but obviously a lot more than a show like Orange Road did. So I, w- I was curious if that uh, struck you as anything interesting or anything meaningful. But uh, if, as you say, you don't care a whole lot about design in, in general, it's not a thing that you're uh, a lens that you're looking through, then uh, it certainly doesn't have to come up and mean much. But there's, you know, there's red hairs and orange hairs and green hairs and blondes and blue hairs in the assassination classroom. Whereas the most blonde that you get in Orange Road is uh, from Hikaru and she doesn't get there. (laughs) So (laughs) I I find it I find it interesting. It certainly is fitting for her character type, but uh it, it it seems interesting to me to get the uh, thing. They they go wilder with eye color, I think. So uh, Ayuka Ayukawa has uh, of course you know vibrant aqua uh, eyes. I think the eyes are the most striking thing about uh, orange red designs to me in general. The uh, especially how how big and how often they are. Uh, uh, highlighted eyelash direction is a big thing in in Orange Road close-ups. So, anywho, uh, I forget what triggered that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's going to come up a lot. I fear. I, uh, the, uh, as far as assassination classroom in general, uh, you know, I I definitely enjoy the setup. I definitely enjoy a lot of the runtime. Most of what you begin with is a lot of the uh, gag setups on ridiculous ways in which to try to assassinate uh, Koro-sensei. And, of course, his establishment of character has to do with, okay, how is he approaching the students? What what care is he using? He, He doesn't mind that uh you know the the rough and tumble uh uh gang type attempts to use uh nagisa in a in a clever assassination attempt but is concerned that uh damn it i'm i'm forgetting which uh name uh terasaka yeah uh but that uh, uh that his attempt he was not showing care towards Nagisa, and Nagisa was not showing care towards himself. So what made him angry was not the, uh, you know, the, the method or that they were trying to kill him. It was the, the manner of it. And uh, I think it's a fairly effective uh, introduction to the approach of uh, Korosensei, what we're going to get out of him. Certainly there will be a whole lot of ridiculous uh, but also just the manner in which, you know, he, he is actually 
seriously approaching education. And words that come out of his mouth, of course, feel like they should be fairly ridiculous. But uh, one nice thing about the show is that they they really never are. I mean, the uh, the self-deprecating stuff when he starts drooling over uh, boobs and porn. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of mockery of him as well. But at the very least, when it comes to uh, his relationship with the students and their with each other and their education, it comes across earnestly and uh, uh, not ridiculously. So it's a, it's a it's a fine line to meld in there, but for the most part, that comes across well. Uh, where you said you, that you watched a few and got into it, but where where do you think you got? Uh, invested particularly in it was was there a a kind of turning point at which uh that there was something in particular either the character i'm going to assume that nagisa i mean leans largest in the show i'm going to assume there are reasons why nagisa leans largest to you in in general uh that creates the uh uh what is it the uh, uh why why the show became your favorite and the the sentimentalness of it i assume is coming through nagisa specifically at the lens it, it would be hard to come through Kora sensei there. i was i was just going to go back around and say so what 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 started uh, you know was there an immediate connection or what what started uh it seeping in particularly so what triggered it for me and like i mentioned i had watched a couple of episodes uh subtitled when it first started airing i enjoyed it but i just didn't have the time to keep up with it at the time so i put it on hold when i went back to watch it dubbed in english it was episode two I want to say two or three where Cora sensei goes to the baseball game in New York and comes back <laughs> and helps the kid develop, you know, his sense of self and letting him know, you know, Hey, it's okay to be yourself and not a, try to copy someone else. That was the emotional hook that I needed to really get invested in the series. Uh, and then from then on, Cora sensei's words carried a lot more weight with me uh so that was a big deal but that initial bit in episode two i, I want to say is what gave me the emotional hook that i needed interesting that uh that felt like still you know a whole lot of establishment time especially because you know karma you start working with him in the next one and he, he of course feels like okay this is going to be a main character whereas i didn't really get that impression off of uh sugino uh and and baseball or necessarily the approach it does feel like they're leaning into well what can cora sense it because he can travel at mach 20 what are the uh you know the finer points of uh, educational uh, benefit that he can apply due to the ability to transport people around the world 
and uh, do that kind of stuff. That that comes up again during test time, a little bit less than you'd think. But uh, so they, I I didn't get anything specific from that. I just found it interesting, especially because that kind of experience is also gag laden. Obviously, we're still getting to understand the, uh, uh, you know, his approach in in general. But we got a bit of that with uh, Terasaka using the uh, grenade. Mm-hmm. So we got to see Koro-sensei uh, angry, but we got to see why he was angry and uh, and what makes sense. So, uh, yeah, def- definitely just part of establishment time for me. To go back to something you said earlier, though, um, I wouldn't say that Nagisa is the character that I like personally identified with the most. He was the lead character. Uh, he was the main source of drama throughout. I consider his growth to be some of the most significant of the series. But it's kind of a combination of a lot of the characters that drew me in. It wasn't one single character like Nagisa. Uh, I mean, my favorite character in the series is Ritsu. Um, <laughs> okay, she is best AI. Yeah, my favorite character in the series is Ritsu, but uh, it's a combination of all of their personalities that kind of drew me in. I liked how the series took time to explain how so many of the kids made it into E-Class. The manga does a little bit better job with it because they take the time to explain pretty much everyone. The anime skips a few of the characters. I wouldn't say that Nagisa was my primary draw into the series. He certainly helped. Uh, (laughs) but But there were moments throughout the entire run of the show that spoke to me for each for pretty much all of the characters. I liked that Karma was the smart kid that they just didn't know how to handle. I liked that um, Kanzaki was the kid who just couldn't deal with the strict pressure at home, you know, things of that sort. So they all all of their stories spoke to me in one way or another. That's cool. We'll we'll get back around uh, in a bit because uh, some of the things will will have to do with with my ultimate impression impression of the series because uh, there's a, a little bit that I'd have to disagree with there, but uh, that'll that that'll come come out a bit more. I think uh, certainly you have a whole lot of archetypes uh, that we have seen in other works. And uh, therefore, you know, when you have a lot of things where it's rooting for, okay, the the misfits and the trot upon and the confused and the trying to understand themselves, uh, you know, being able to come together better as an individual and, of course, as a team, because ultimately it's going to be their class bond that that drives a lot of the show. I think one of the things, because you mentioned it, so you you started with the sub and then you started rewatching with the dub. Uh, have you stuck? Basically, you always watched the dub at that point. 
actually uh assassination classroom is like the only series i can think of where i would watch i start i started with the sub then i went to the dub and then once i started watching it regularly i would watch the series subbed and then i would re-watch the same episode dubbed a week later <laughs> okay yeah that, so that might... i have watched it all the way through both subbed and dubbed that that might have two diversions uh well po- possibly three before we get back L- let's see cuz uh during uh, i i mentioned you know the particular funimation travails that i was having especially going into uh season 2 yeah uh of assassination classroom and one of the things that that uh, did was I was on the road, I had downloaded episodes in the app, and then I had discovered that, oh, the only things that I could download were the dubbed. It literally didn't have subtitled options. I couldn't figure out why, but it didn't do it. But I'm on the road, I'm somewhere, I can't really do anything, I have no internet, I couldn't find another source, so I'm like, okay, I'll watch the dub. Uh, I forget at, at what point this was specifically, but, uh, <clears throat> so I watched a, a, a dub normally that, that, that's fine. It's a, it's a reasonably competent dub. There were definitely a few characters that I did not like, uh, voiced, uh, as the dub, uh, Kaede was, was one of them. Uh, but the dub voice I had the most problems with was Koro Sensei's. Really? It's a good voice. But I could it did not fit Koro Sensei. He sounded so normal. But in Japanese he's swallowing syllables, he sounds mischievous, he sounds flustered, he sounds a lot of things. I maybe didn't have all of the scenes from it, but in the uh, in, in the the dub actor does a good job, but he sounds like more like what I would think Karasuma would be, just with a deeper voice because he is serious military man. Uh, but I'm like, I think that takes away a lot of uh, Koro Sensei's character is that particular uh, uh, dialogue shift just the uh the voice type uh and it's not like uh the the japanese voice actor who's uh jun fukuyama it's not like he's one of those people with a weird voice he he did uh you know parts like uh craft lawrence from spice and wolf so he's an immensely normal one but he can also be completely freakish like uh uh Kamari from uh, recent seasons of Yao Mushi Paddle, who uh, uh, man, that guy creeps me out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Kikuchi from Genshiken, the very much a weirdo. So he has an interesting manner of vocal control, and I think that adds a lot of character and, frankly, a lot of believability to the nature of this, you know, yellow bowling ball, eternally grinning headed guy. And And I think that's lost from from the dub so uh, as much as i don't watch dubs anyway and we know this i don't think 
you know, even with a good thing that I would want to go through and, and watch it with it, I, I think that would really color my impression of Koro Sensei. So, uh, it, it, it was a weird way for it to come across that an entirely good job at acting was m- the most objectionable, as opposed to, you know, kind of some overacting person. <laughs> See, I actually have to disagree with you a little here, because as much as I love Jun Fukuyama, I think that he is a great actor. I think he's done some amazing stuff. Like you mentioned, Kraft Lawrence is a great role that he did. Lelouch. Uh, Yeah, Lelouch was another great role that he did. But in this case, I actually did prefer Sunny Strait as Koro-sensei. I thought the dub was really well done for for that particular character. So that's, I think this is just a personal preference kind of a thing. I don't think either one of us are right or wrong. But yeah, I mean, I preferred the, I preferred Sunny Strait's performance over June Fukuyama's. I, I don't know. I just can't picture him without it. Uh, it's uh, the way that he would swallow, he would elongate the ending words in the uh, ensue, but uh, but eat it. There there was a particular just marvelous flavor to the way he presented Korra Sensei that uh, I I don't think I could wrap my brain around it being just a straightforward. I'm a guy. I mean look at him that doesn't uh-huh. mean you have to be the most ridiculous idiot in in the universe i mean if mamoru miyano uh came in and started doing his most outlandish voices which he occasionally does and occasionally drives me up a freaking wall <laughs> he was in this by the way he's uh you know uh asano the the student the head student oh and i'm right like on. i i didn't recognize him at all and Miyano is normally one of those people that you get right away, but he's like, he's playing it totally straight. So <laughs> therefore you don't get all of his, uh, Miyano isms as it were. Uh, so Koro sensei had the weirdest voice, which, you know, it, it is, I believe the most fitting and, and works for the, you know, the gagginess of him and also makes a different presentation. I think of when he's being serious, it's still coming through that peculiar lens. Uh, whereas, especially if he's if he himself as a character is off screen, it's it's a lot easier to just hear. Oh, okay, here's a normal same teacher telling me things. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if we want to break for any of the additional specific complaints I have about uh, Funimation, but uh, the uh, or or if that's too much of a diversion for now. Uh, I think we can skip over that. I mean, you've made your feelings pretty well known on the Black Lagoon podcast. Mm, well, the, yeah, there were just weird other things. Like, uh, in this case, what uh, I'll just give a quick thing okay what happened was when it got specifically to season two they didn't have the it was only the dub available but it did not seem to be only the dub was available for the show it was simply it wasn't exposed through the app uh so i would move over to the playstation 4 
and I'd try to do that. I have an NVIDIA Shield. I have a number of devices that I can use, and I would try to use them, and uh, none of them would work. Like, either the app was having a problem, or I couldn't select... Like, I could select the Japanese dialogue, and it would not shift the audio mode. I'm like, oh my god, what's going on here? So my options were uh, Hulu, which... Unfortunately, the way I have Hulu means it still has ads, and I was not willing to sit through the ads. The player was a lot better, but I, I wasn't going to sit through constant interruptions with uh, with ads. Or what I had to end up doing <laughs> was just pirating the thing. And of course, what the pirate had were the Funimation subtitles. <laughs> I yeah. just had to deal with bullshit websites to get to it. I'm like, this is such an obnoxious... Uh, extra step up like your your apps on multiple devices are not working to give me what I want so I pirated mm -hmm. your own stream this is ridiculous so uh, <sighs> it doesn't need too much complaints but I, I feel this must be vocalized okay and then we can uh, then we can get back I'm trying to think at, th at this point what what felt like the first digression for you or sort of pace change for you from establishing characters, bringing in new ones? We get uh, Bichi Sensei coming in. Uh, we get, uh, of course, the uh, gym teacher coming in. Uh, and then we, we have some of the... Uh, uh, the midterms and stuff coming in. Did, did it feel like there was a particular time at which we switched from intro mode to going in? Did it for you? Did it feel like it was more of a just progression through the whole show, or uh, were there particular high points? Uh, for discounting me, I... the end, which is so. Let's say through the first seventy-five percent. Uh, because <laughs> because uh, the end the the end quarter is is where uh, I think a lot of stuff is going on. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say that there were particular checkpoints for me. I wouldn't say you know at this episode we exit introduction mode and go into main story mode. I thought that they handled the progression of the story arcs really well. I thought that it segued from one se from one segment to another really part. Uh, really well. I thought that the chapter breaks felt natural. It never felt jarring. Like suddenly we're in midterm mode. Uh, suddenly we're in the school trip mode. You know, it felt it felt like a natural progression, even though there were obvious starting and stopping points. Well, I mean, that's uh, part of the academic life for students anyway. It's okay. Yeah, Here exactly. We have this. It, 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 it does become test time. It does become school trip. It does become uh, here we are on Golden Week or uh, the, the particular break. So uh, uh -huh. even... Even if they were more jarring, it you know it makes sense that it's the events that show you the progression of time. Uh, I think one one thing that took me out a bit too much was their midterms. I mean, we start leaning into where the uh, 
the chairman Asano senior becomes the uh the 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 what feels like the primary antagonist it it's funny to have a thing where you have a classroom of students and other people trying to kill a teacher and the primary antagonist is simply the principal <laughs> of the academy and his education method it makes sense for the show obviously to give the contrasting evil mode of teaching as it were the uh the the understanding of what the class what class e is supposed to mean and uh what what it's supposed to represent in general and uh, of course we are rooting for koro sensei and his noble teaching to ultimately defeat that sort of thing uh but i have a bit of a problem i got i got tripped out because within you know it's it's only episode six where they're doing the midterms i think uh-huh uh but it seemed kind of implied that in this amount of time which is not a whole lot i'm not sure exactly how many things but you know a couple weeks or a month it feels like uh i don't think we get months we start getting a, a like a, an actual time count late in the show as they've reached the one year time limit but uh uh it it feels a little bit too magical because other than the fact that the uh they change the way the test goes and change everything up and the uh, uh, the chairman goes and has assemblies to teach everyone who isn't them uh, and prepare them for a test that they've just changed. It, I don't know if it would have ended up being that case, but it was implied that all or most of Class E could have gotten into the top 50 of the students, and that's half of the top spots of the class, whether or not they became number one through five students we haven't really had that much time and they're established as you know the trash tier and things have obviously started to change for them but we get one of the first real uh okay he's starting to clone he's giving each one of them individualized teaching time so he can basically multiply his teaching time by 25 because he's not teaching a class he's teaching every one of them with uh with seizure inducing uh <laughs> clones moving around at Mach 20 yeah. uh, which is funny and amusing but we, we feel like they're already hitting a particular position that I don't think was earned academically only to be defeated by the evil uh chairman guy it uh, obviously is a good setup for him as an antagonist but it feels like the wrong kind of pacing for the students coming to actually, you know, give a crap about school and put some effort in. Uh, so that that trip that trips me up a bit, and that will be a slightly recurring theme as we go. Uh, but right right there, I think that was a a particular point which which irked me. Uh, but then they go on their Kyoto trip, and they have a lot of fun, and. Uh, and it's definitely a a good arc. I'll end up contrasting this with their what is it their their island? Yeah, arc. the Okinawa. The Okinawa one, 
at a certain point. I'm not sure when, when and how we want to get to that particular contrast. There's in the Okinawa one, there's a lot to like about it. And certainly I think that the the culmination of going through a whole lot of kind of goofy assassination attempts and somewhat serious ones, but seeing that they've been training a lot, uh, that we've already been, uh, uh, you know, revealed to, uh, uh, you know, we've had Lorvo come in. So uh, Irina Sensei uh, has has a bit of growth herself. We're getting acknowledgement of uh, Nagisa and others as far as assassination skills. Uh, so I enjoyed certainly the the method and complexity of uh, of their attempt to kill Koro Sensei there, especially because they they get to use an academic lead in that even has the, the Terasaka gang. Uh, getting some uh, some useful time, right, Terasaka? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> with their with their home ec, uh thing, that that was pretty great. So I th- I think there are a number of things that the show does very well, and the lead up to that particular encounter, I thought was uh, was done well through the assassination, and you also get their academic one. And there are certain academic things that I think are done well. Like I said, midterms, the presentation of it, I think went off. Uh, well, I, I like the imagery that we were going into in, in midterms and finals of kind of kids all in an arena and uh, doing things. It's a, it's a nice presentation of it all entering finals, I feel like they actually had, you know, some earned, uh, this is where they had uh, uh, an amount of earned uh, academic triumph. And of course, it doesn't uh, end up being the whole the whole thing. That it, it does put Classy in a weird place because apparently half the class has made top 50 and could leave Classy, but this, even though that's how they would leave it, it doesn't become a thing. Uh, there is one way in which it becomes a thing later with Nagisa, but that's, I forget how far down that's in season two. Uh, so, uh, my, my problem comes after it. We're getting a bit of, you know, the shonen conflict and, and things that work. We're getting a bit of the skill creep and power creep and even a uh, uh we we forced Koro Sensei to reveal a new power of his that uh that was there before it they did so well that we've learned a new thing about uh Koro Sensei but what took me out of it was the the trap we have the return of uh you know the the worst gym teacher ever yeah uh, Takaoka they're getting put into a situation with real people and real guns and real conflict and genuine danger and Kora Sensei is encouraging it. And that doesn't that I feel like that doesn't suit the show and it certainly doesn't suit his usual care for the uh, uh, the care of the kids. On the Kyoto trip some of them were obviously put in danger, but they were put in danger in the way that 
they would be if they were on a school trip. He had prepared them for it. He does get to help them later, and he is set and in a position to do so. So if in the Okinawa Island arc, he still had another card that he could pull, then that would be one thing, but he had no card. There's no, no help that he could pull, and they're actually in an auditorium with uh, a guy who really, really loves tasting his pistol, yeah. shooting live ammunition, and he's busy, you know, he's like, oh, sh surely everything will be fine, I can control myself, I'll give them hints. There's a difference between, okay, I can pull out my Mach 20 uh, crazy alien creature uh, skills at some point, as need be, in case something that would hurt them happens. And, uh, you know, we, we do get a taste of what he has in store later, but he doesn't at this point. And it's never revealed that he could have. And the easy option would be for, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, Karasuma would have just overridden the stuff going on. He could have had a military force storm the hotel, uh, <laughs> find uh, Takaoka and, uh, and solve everything there because they, as much as they are perfectly fine trying something to kill Korra Sensei, they could still do it on their own. The, the military would have 24 hours to figure out their own plan. But in the meanwhile, they're, they have the agreement not to put the students in harm's way. And this is genuine harm's way, not, uh, -huh. uh, uh, uh not things. So I, that definitely took me out of it. it. It established a weird precedent that I don't think fit the show as it was leading up and then has, you know, more impacts for for later. But it, it struck me wrong. It, of course, is a great set piece. And you, in fact, end up enjoying it. It's revealed that they were never in any actual danger from uh, what they were poisoned with, quote unquote. Yeah. But you don't know that going in. It's just one of those diffusing points. It's like, oh, these these assassins were fun assassins, and they do come back later and have time when when they're doing their great, uh, uh, you know, cafe on, on uh, with mountaintop ingredients. So they uh -huh. they show up, and the and the the guy who is like the the creepiest uh, bugger imaginable, Mister uh, Stir My Ramen with My Pistol, and then taste it i'm like oh my god how ridiculous can you be he's still pretty hilarious and he amuses me later and i enjoy him after i figured i i would not but the context of what they were doing at that point i think was overall a a negative i think it should have been handled differently i'm not sure how but it it took me out of uh out of the flow of what was going on so I'm not sure if that's something that uh, that you've thought about or in that particular way, uh, whether you, whether it, it's something that you would, in light of it, that you have an issue with or not, or uh, wish to debate or not. I actually <laughs> did not have any particular problems with that uh, story arc. I can see your point about the students, you know, being put in genuine harm and everything. But at the same time, I remember Koro-sensei, you know, specifically telling them, 
you know, hey, you're in danger here and you're using live ammo, but we're still not going to take any lives. So that kind of stood out to me a little bit, especially to the fact that, you know, you mentioned Shonen Jump again, they threw in a Rurouni Kenshin inside joke there. There's no such thing as a Sakabato pistol, though. So uh, Yeah. (laughs) He... That that approach, of course, is telling them that they still have to remain limited. But the main point is that there's an unknown force of people who are after uh, essentially $100 million by capturing Koro-sensei and trying to kill him. It's not... The military itself isn't... Uh, uh, isn't taking charge in part of this, and for the most part... They're allow they're allowing both this intercessory mess with them and also let their deal with the uh, with a teacher go in jeopardy by allowing the students to be put in in danger. So they that's the the other part is not that there could be danger because there always is, and when they uh, when they do some of the stuff later in it, they're taking it upon themselves. They're when Koro-sensei is trapped and they're storming back to uh, uh, towards the end, they are the ones who are engaging entirely of your own volition for a reason that that's fine. But in here, he is actively encouraging what I feel is just too much potential lethality. I don't believe in it, of course, because again, you know, Shonen Jump series, kind of gag-ridden, I don't expect a high fatality uh, account. I was a little disappointed that they pulled back uh, Lorvo. Uh, I was like, oh, oh, they actually, uh, you know, killed a guy that we kind of liked off screen. That's nice. And then it's revealed later on, though. So there's uh, there's a certain amount that, of course, you assume nothing is going to happen. But I'm like, if you're going to create the situations and try to pull that card... And then you pull it away each time, you know, that that takes points off. So I think the biggest problem I had with some of the progression was in that Okinawa uh, thing there. It, it, ju- it just felt off brand. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it felt obviously very much of a, hey, I have to, we just had a finals thing. How do I one up it? And of course, I don't know how popular, I don't know the ups and downs of uh, the popularity of the manga to know whether or not it's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, it's time for us to up the stakes and up the ante and do something really fancy uh, to get back up the ranking chart, that kind of thing. I'm not sure how much to approach that in either, but uh, I'm rereading Bakuman again, and of of course that looms large, so my brain uh, probably puts a lot too much weight on the... uh, series ranking charts and uh and what that causes the editors to make the the manga do even if they didn't want to so it, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall in all of the decisions where it's like well did did this have a cause was this the plan the whole time excuse me etc yeah, honestly, I've seen Anime News Network interview the original creator of the manga before, and it 
you know, they've done great a great job interviewing him in the past, but I really wish that they would ask, you know, more questions about Assassination Classroom, because I would love to know right. if the plan for the ending was the and the progression of the story was you know the plan all along or were there hiccups along the way that had to be fixed i would love to know you know inside baseball like that i'm never gonna get the chance (laughs) but i would love to hear inside stories about the progression of this story right that would there there was uh something uh matsui sensei did put some stuff in in latter manga uh where he said that from pretty much the setup and from fairly early on this was as he was wrapping it up and just you know thanking people for uh following uh, uh the series and you know how he approached and what he thought he said he he knew that it was going to have to be tragic by the end but of course that just means okay in the end that there are going to have to kill Koro-sensei instead of saving him. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that any of the rest of the progression necessarily makes sense. You can have an entirely normal uh, gag-ridden thing where they they do a bit of a turn at the end uh, into, well, you know, this is what's going... This is what's going to have to happen no matter what. And there are a number of ways that he could have done it. So there, yeah. there was certainly refining uh, going along, but it does because this still feels fairly early. I forget how many chapters there are total, but it, it feels fairly early, and it feels like a kind of stakes hike that's a bit unbidden uh, when you have someone like, "Hey, I'm a I'm a sniper," you know, you have real assassins who are hired on the Kyoto trip, their target is Koro-sensei. And they're not treating the students at all as collateral damage. They're conspirators to try to help these guys, uh, you know, actually kill Koro-sensei. They're part of the plan. They're they're hired in. Uh, but n- not so on the Okinawa thing. Now the entire students are potentially collateral damage. It's established in the beginning that they basically have, I forget how much time, but it's, it's like they have 24 hours before organs will start shutting down. And uh, it, it's left for the science guys. The, and anyone who wears glasses in the class, it's like, oh, no, we wouldn't be able to figure out anything. We, we could maybe, uh, you know, do some stuff, but uh, we don't have enough time to uh, conspire a thing. Like, well, what about other people? What about adults? Uh-huh. <laughs> you're, you're all... Half the class is uh, gonna die in twenty four hours. I expect a little bit more going on. So obviously the setup is there, but if you don't, if the revelation of it wasn't serious comes after the fact, and you get to kind of like even the weirdo assassins who are gonna shoot people to death after the fact, you're diffusing the seriousness. But not the uh, not what drove them into the situations, because at that point it, it was a very deadly turn. Yeah. And as far as we know, it would have been a deadly turn between uh, Nagisa and Takaoka at, at the end. Uh, and one, <laughs> one thing I'll also say, 
I know they had to give a uh, like a super technique. <laughs> um, I, I can I, I I can't buy the clap stunner. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it's fitting in a very gag way, but they don't get to play it as a. They get to play it some semi gag once, but then it becomes a thing, and I'm like, I, I just can't lean into that one in particular. I think the manga throws a number of other student like super techniques and stuff like that that we that we don't get to see in this case. So the big. The big one, the the kind, the quasi supernatural thing, is the clap stunner. Although, as much as I as I don't buy and didn't like the clap stunner much, uh, and I showed you the screenshots, <laughs> I fucking died when I was rewatching Orange Road, and in the first episode, Ayukawa claps her hands in front of that guy just to distract him. He pulls back from a charge and then she punches him in the face. I'm like, she yeah. fucking claps stunned him. <laughs> 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 so it was pretty hilarious. But yeah, after the uh, Okinawa arc, they uh, uh, go into their normal their normal stuff generally. We see you know more people and more more general academic growth. Um, I'm trying to remember what I kind of liked from. I, I liked a lot of the the sort of bits and pieces when they uh, when they get dressed down because they're all using uh, you know parkour skills all over the place and need uh-huh. an old man and uh, and then take over his uh, grade school. You you get to see the the education. Uh, uh, hand-me-down of it of, okay, now you guys have to forfeit study for a period of time, uh, take care of things until he can come back, and of course he comes back to a, a massively uh, everyone is treated well the uh, hyper tsundere little girl who's totally going to make Nagisa hers at some point uh, <laughs> S- Sakura is uh, warming up uh, we we of course, Nagisa gets a lot of screen time through that, uh, and in general. So, uh, but I, I definitely enjoyed the capper for that as well, where they're just showing, oh, we we uh, like fixed everything and added a garage and an indoor, uh, you know, merry-go-round thing that also uh, supplies battery power to your electric scooter and. <laughs> So inclement weather isn't a problem. And here's a library we took donations. I'm like, ah, that's uh, cute. But most of the stuff is is fairly general. It's enjoyable, uh, but there, you know, you're just getting a lot of okay. What what else can we do uh, to to buy time? So you have your uh, everyone playing manhunt for a period of time. Uh, trying to you, you keep getting uh, Itona and that hooded guy coming back so they get to uh, they get to do their their other thing you have this other antagonist who uh, who you don't know anything much of for a while uh, so uh, Itona and him keep coming back for, for a period and I don't know if there's anything else that uh, what is it you want to uh, uh, talk about from things. I mean, 
you get the uh, the Reaper arc at one point, which is prominent, which is another another thing where we we get to learn about the world's number one assassin. Uh, Lorvo is quote unquote killed. The students are kidnapped, but again, we don't really get a dangerous sense here. So uh, you just get a bit more. It feels like they're establishing a new antagonist. The military uh, is always a presence there, but they're masked through the fact that we like Karasuma as a teacher and in general. So we get uh, we get the chairman who uh, you have to go through and has to have his own why is he this way understanding bit. And it, it's reasonably well played out. It's hard to square because I just hate that guy so much. So, uh, <laughs> man, he, uh, it's a little. his son is a little better because you can also understand things a bit better from the perspective of a snotty friggin' 15-year-old who thinks he's hot shit. In both these series, again, it's all middle school stuff. That's, that's one of those weird things. I'm like, how is middle school... I don't remember anything about middle school. It was totally boring. But in anime, middle school is fucking bomb. <laughs> what did you think of the tone shift from season two to season one? And what I mean by that is season one, I think, was a lot more lighthearted. It was a lot more gag-focused. Season two, it went a little bit darker it's it's serious up a little bit more with the revelations of the various antagonists and of course the final story arc uh of the ending but what did you think of the total shift well that's it i I wouldn't put it at season two because of course remember it it starts with uh, they're still in the summer festival and have a test of courage and then the the most ridiculous trap ever uh, because there's a surplus of eggs, they make a giant yeah. caramel pudding. Uh, you get Itona coming back, but he's already done that twice. Uh, so they they kind of... Uh, I think that's the one where they rescue him at this point. So he becomes yeah. a member, and he becomes one of the... Uh, one of the, uh, the Terasaka gangbangers. So uh, the... We've gotten limited... I think the manga revealed a bit more from earlier on, but you've got limited seeing, what is it, of, you know, the dark origins. Why is Koro Sensei? And who is this woman that he keeps remembering or we get a memory of? I forget how often the anime did that. You would probably know what kind of foreshadowing they did. Uh, for that, considering how many times you've likely rewatched this show. But, uh, so it, it didn't feel like they were, it didn't feel like a hard tonal shift until uh, Kaede comes out and we get his actual, like, the revelation of how did Koro-sensei happen. Because we've we've already had a a darker and more potentially violent end uh, in season one with the Okinawa arc, and then ending season one for the most part with the Reaper coming in. So we already got, you know, the the deadly uh, uh, actual assassin world side of things. We still haven't really seen military. We just know that they're present behind 
they're watching. And we won't get them until the end. But I think the tone shift only happens. Oh, wait, no. Reaper time is in season two. Never mind. Yeah. My, uh, my thing scrolled weirdly, but so we've, so yeah, you, you get a bit more of the series from the Reaper time, but they do pull back from it again. It, it's the thing where, you know, they have the school festival, you get another set of finals happening for this term. And that, that I think was probably the most interesting conflict that I'll come back to to that but that that I think was one of the more interesting things about the show was the visualization in the end between Asano and Karma during the math problem and I thought it was a great uh, coalescing of inside the box outside the box thinking how Karma has been able to get this way only because he came back to class. He actually values his classmates. So being a, a part of a thing is how he solves the particular problem that you go in. And it's all a part of the uh, the finals time. It gets to show the advancement of uh, the characters in general. And we've had enough time at this point. We've had, I'd assume, three quarters uh, or so of the... Uh, of their year has been spent to get here so we can we can see it a bit better than uh, what the midterms did the time before they they did uh they they did poor during the midterms in uh season two due to the uh uh, uh due to having to take care of the uh the place right Is yeah the, so yeah so that was there but it was in service of a of an interesting uh other things and then that 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 led into the reaper but again you get a bit of a pullback there uh you know talking about uh career stuff they have the school festival which was fun you still have their uh conflict with the uh what are they the the best five the big five yeah yeah five asano and the big five and that goes into the academic part so they get a nice triumph this is Part of it, I, that doesn't feel like a tone shift. That feels like a maturation of the uh, of what they did in season one, because you you kind of have uh, echoes of the same thing. It's just they've had more time and approach. So really, I I think the tone shift twists once we, uh, once Kaede reveals what she's been hiding the whole time, and that it's like, oh, holy crap, they can do an actual surprise twist here most of the time the twists aren't aren't terribly but we've already uh diffused itona another tentacle creature and then you you get to realize that one of the class who's just been you know happy smiles a lot uh cute happy smiles a lot the whole time uh, uh nagisa's good friend has been in hiding the whole time and of course immediately after that you get the story uh, of Koro Sensei and the revelation of uh, Best Girl Aguri. So that that to me feels like the tonal shift. Not not that it's season two, but it's kind of core two of of season two. Once they get yeah, into, I'm uh, sorry, I I phrased that poorly. I didn't mean to say that the first episode of season two was like night and day. Right. I just meant the the overall 
feeling of yeah. one season to the other. Yeah, I, th- I think it's. I think the dramatic turn at that point happens there. Of course, they could have continued without it. You could have a revelation that Koro is doomed from the beginning, but never you know, was threatening the world in any way and simply wanted, you know, to do this, whatever reason he had. And of course you can build in some, uh, you can build in some tragedy to it, but, uh, uh, and then getting, you know, killed by his students. You don't have to go the way that they, they did precisely, but the tone shift happens, you know, at that point. Once, once we learn his history, I do have some issues here. I like the ultimate ending quite a lot. I think it's very strong. I think that, of course, it's not the last episode. I guess it's the second to last episode. is is of course powerful, especially the last roll call, which I assume is what. Uh, what will turn everyone into generally a sobbing mess? But uh, yeah, that last roll call is—that <laughs> was a gut punch. That's pretty harsh. It. Yeah, it was really. That was tough to get through the first time. <laughs> and and most times, although maybe your tenth time is a little. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm I'm a. Uh, drop a few picks here and there while I start talking about it. But obviously the backstory is one of the things, but I think one of the more meaningful uh, things that they lean into is the conflict, the paintball uh, fight where, where once they learn about it and learn what's going on, they're like, can we, can we save him? Uh, We, we should try to save Koro-sensei. And I'm like, well, I completely agree. Uh, this seems like a good idea. So I I snapped each and every one of these because I thought it was an, it was also an interesting uh, scene. You can let me know if you care about me actually dropping all of them in. It, it takes a little long for my uh, for my iPad to do it, so I'll, I'll stick. So it, it was interesting, and, and I enjoyed the conflict because... Nagisa wins, and more to the point, because the let's save Koro-sensei wins, that feels like the wrong move. The way, and and the reason why I think that is because, okay, they have a nice, I enjoyed the paintball conflict quite a lot. You got to, as expected, have uh, Nagisa and Karma get to have the... uh, uh, the the big revelation and the uh, wrap up with it, you get to consume a bunch of time. But if the point is we should try to save Koro Sensei, they do immensely little to go down this path. It 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 takes me out because I'm like you're you're not doing this <laughs> they immediately have a journey into space which is a funny aside uh and they come back with information but they come back with information that's like oh well if it gets past this here's the information that's been led if it gets past this kind of thing um then uh, there's only there's less than one percent chance that he'll endanger the world or or something like this uh, 
so they come to a point, but then it's very quickly turned into, well, because it hasn't, because this one step isn't going to change anyone's mind right now. Let's just keep trying to kill him anyway. And then uh, if it ends in in here, maybe it'll be fine at the end. I'm like, yeah, but you're still trying to kill him. You just said you don't want to kill him. Well, at least the side that won wants to save him. I'm <laughs> like, literally killing him is not working to save him. I think it would have been better if they're going to go that route. I, it feels like it should have had a lot more going into what can we do before coming to the realization that, well, maybe we can't do anything. But I, I can think of dozens of things that is like, okay, well, let's not kill him for a while. And then before he explodes, let's have him fly out, you know, to the uh, deep space in the orbit of here. And if he's perfectly fine and uh, there is no chain reaction that would blow up the moon, he can just fly back and apparently live for 90 more years as a weird tentacle creature. And maybe the military never trusts him and always keep trying to kill him themselves, but they don't, uh, but it's not the thing that they want to do. So I feel like what should have been revealed during the paintball fight was if you're going to sell that the bond of, you know, this is the thing, this is what brought us together. This is the the meaning for it. Then it had to go the other way or it had to come back that way. But it's kind of like, okay, let's see what we can do to save him. And it's tossed off way too blasé. And it kind of doesn't come up again. And they're cheerfully just going to go back and trying to kill him. Even after the tone shift happened, all of the dramatic revelations happened. Uh, these kids didn't have much time with Aguri, but uh, obviously, you know, they they care about the situation. And at this point, they care about their teacher. I have a hard time attaching. I, I can attach to the the very culmination of it in the end but i think there's a lot of fumbling in this last quarter that uh that strikes me wrong there there there's a lot of it that i think would have been fine without certain setup but it because it went one way or the other uh because the it went the way that it did during the paintball conflict i i am myself conflicted about the uh the the back half of season two until the very end when, you know, there, it's just going on. But again, you kind of have these weird situations where the military traps him in a force field for a week and then the kids go to visit him and that would have been a thing. But friggin' the, the literal worst person in the universe, Shiro, shows up and with uh, worst gym teacher again and his crazy science stuff. Why he's wanting to challenge Koro-sensei, who's apparently trapped and going to die in a few days no matter what. I'm, I'm not sure. There are things that feel like this is a shonen thing. These are the high-stakes wrap-ups, but it, there's a there's a pacing problem that goes on, and I think a direction problem that, that goes on that makes it where I'm like episodes 15 through or not not 15 but like 17 through 22 are 
irritating in, in certain ways if it simply became that the kids were trying to save him the whole time they were working at it they were having problems and the the military steps in and now it's the students against the authorities this feels like a way to to run it especially they're they have learned everything they're working together they're working to save Kora sensei and if it's at the end simply well i would rather die by your hands this is our bond as teacher and class not the bond is that you must kill me it's the bond that you know they have been together and this is what have they they have been the these are their overall experiences it it was weird to lose the uh the the saving element and it 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 made me hard to uh it made me hard to roll through a, a lot of the uh the ending of it i still you know the last couple episodes once they hit uh birthday you know happy birthday time it's fine except you know bringing shiro back and the the super tentacle monster back i'm like ah this was annoying it it feels like distractions i, I was a little bit surprised that the uh, show was taking more episodes to wrap up i'm like well i know it's coming but it didn't happen yet <laughs> why didn't it happen yet so it's a, it's a little weird this is one of the first times I know a lot of series have had an ending that have gone off the uh, gone off the deep end, but usually it's just to the ultimate detriment of the show. Whereas this one, I have a lot of issues with, but I still feel it wraps up well. I feel like you know the last two episodes are still obviously immensely affecting and uh, good, and I feel you know we get our epilogue with the students. We get, uh, you know, the a proper, as compared to our uh, Maharomatic, we have a proper big boob teacher who actually likes adults, and will <laughs> uh, will marry them. That that's a good way to handle it. So I'm not sure. Obviously, you're going to disagree with me. Curious uh, more about your your approach to the whole like the backstory revelation and the we should save him and then what does what does that turn to what should it have turned to yeah uh with the revelation of the students not wanting to kill him but being forced into it in the end anyway the only part of that whole arc that kind of irked me was I wasn't a huge fan of the space arc. I thought that was that was, <laughs> was a, it, that was, was an episode, yeah. not an arc, but yes. Yeah, you get yeah, you get yeah. What <laughs> um the space arc, the space episode was I think a little out there. Um but I thought that the way they handled the students being forced into killing him was handled actually fairly well. The reason why I say that is because it wasn't so much that the students gave up on trying to save him. I think that their hand was forced uh, once the military stepped in and said, okay, you know, because Karasuma tells them flat out, you know, you have a month to figure this out but then the military is going to step in and do its thing anyway so i think that because of that 
it was handled fairly as as well as it could be. I don't think it was too ham-fisted. I think that the students had they more time, had they more episodes, that maybe a solution could have been found that would have made that a little more tolerable for you. Because the military gave them such a strict time limit, you know, and they were kids that no one was going to take seriously anyway. So I think that that was pretty much the only way that they could go. So yeah, so in my personal opinion, I think that it was handled as well as it could have been with the time that they had left. I th- well, the, I mean, part of it, the, it, it's questioning what time you have left. If you don't spend an extra episode or two bringing Shiro and uh, uh, Takaoka back, you have established... It wasn't Takaoka who came back. The, uh... Oh, sorry, no, the, the, the Reaper, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The actual Reaper. So, um... Yeah. Uh... It... It feels like the the problem is it it's a time crunch that's solved within or not solved but that progresses within part of an episode. You're given this amount of time, but it, the whole the space episode includes they go they find the information. They're given some time. Uh, they learn the only fact that they learn is that there's less than 1% with the help of this drug that he will actually uh, explode. Uh, But then they're like, okay, well, that's all you can figure out. The military doesn't step in here. They just say, you know, they made an agreement ahead of time, but I'm not sure why it was. What we don't get to see is actual ideas. They do a little bit of sciencing in the background. You get a call back to uh, slime, but you don't get anything. You don't get bartering with the people to say, well, what about this? They just say the the only option that they have at that point is, oh, well, there's a small percent chance that, you know, no one's going to risk the world on even half a percent chance and be fine with them. But there are other ways to do it. It's like, okay, are you fine with us sending him? He he shouldn't, uh, the way they establish is that since bigger people will chain react less than a, a mouse would, which blew up the moon for whatever reason, the whole point is you can make up a thing. And it's like, okay, he can spend a period of time out in space where he would be harmless. And if he's diffused in this time, is that fine? are you coming back? But we don't get any of that. We get a little bit of extra information and then they gave up. There's no, and especially in a thing where it's an academic focus and thinking outside the box, we just had this in finals, use your intelligence, use your smarts. It it graded at me that that's where it stops. I'm like, that, that's, that can't be where it stops. That, that can't be the revelation of it. It's like now, even if you're still trying to kill them, you should still be tossing ideas to at uh, Karasuma to see what might work, but that's it. You just get the happily, happily go back to spending time. But of course, they progress the the next two months very quickly, and then you get the uh, laser force field. The military steps in, you know, right before, and you have a lot of uh, you you get the the end. The, the end of things, all told, but uh, I feel like either the bond 
should have been solved during the paintball thing, or they needed a revelation rather than a in the in the course of like the last ten minutes of an episode, if that that here's what we spend time doing, we learn a fact, and then that's it. We're fine trying to kill him again. I don't believe they could be happily trying to kill him, and I don't believe that nothing else would have gone on. So it it that uh, again that that's a that's a part that really that really bugs me uh towards towards the end. So uh I like the way that a lot of the things are handled. If it's simply that they kept it feels like they could should have kept fighting and trying up until the military actually took it out of their hands, which they didn't until the last week. It uh yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Obviously the the thing itself ends well. I enjoy uh as stated this this has uh, one of the better penultimate episodes. I keep a, a ranking chart of... Because uh, it, it's good to have final episodes, but I'm like, which series have the best penultimate episodes? Like, where did the... Uh, where where did everything come to a, a particular climax that you think worked better than the actual end of the show itself? Uh, and of course, I, I think that is graduation time uh, in general for assassination classroom. Uh, the the one to beat for this for me is uh, Sherbako, though, because uh, it's episode twenty three is uh, pure triumph. Mm hmm. I can. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's the like a category that I, that I invented just because of Sherbako. So, but, th but this gets a place on it. So, so you mentioned it briefly a little bit earlier, and this is going to be the last question that I asked because I'm getting kind of hungry and we've been recording for almost three hours. We have um, not. Okay. We have. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, but I'm curious, what did you think of the epilogue episode at the very end, which kind of ex expresses where the students end up going in the future after Kuro-sensei's influence on their lives? You mentioned it a little earlier, but I was curious if you could expand on that a bit. I'm not sure what to expand on precisely i i enjoyed it in general we of course get to have the uh the ultimate redemption as it were of uh asano and the big five because they the kids get to uh, attend their junior high graduation the, they get to help them and then uh you you see that only uh karma is staying in that school he's got a ladder up to high school I feel like uh, I want a side story, which is just him and Asano in high school, and I, I think they're totally going to make out by the end. So <laughs> it it feels it feels right. I certainly enjoy the uh, you know all of the general revelations there, as one expects. Uh, it it feels right. It doesn't necessarily feel right that they gave money back to the government. I feel like it's the kind of thing where they should have done something in the education sector with it, like a donation to X. Well, they obviously donated to the, the old guys thing, but not a serious amount. It, it seems to be implied. I, I think what they end up with 300 million at the end, something like so that. So how much does a mountain cost? 
Uh, they all gave themselves enough so that they can go to school wherever they want to and have a comfortable entry into the job market, but they're not doing... None of them decide to do the whole uh, uh, I will live in the lap of luxury for for life, don't want to do anything, which one expects, certainly. Uh-huh. Uh, but, like, with serious money, a lot of them were, came from families which had small businesses, and it's like, well, you'd think that's the kind of thing where you're using your education and some of this that you got to be able to... Uh, assist in transforming these businesses now maybe that's not the right the right way quote unquote to go about it especially if you're teaching the you know the noble ends of of education but we're we're all on the practical end of money here but i feel like if they're going to do a a pretty massive give back that it should have gone into the education system rather than government in particular i mean how much money did they spend on a laser grid and uh, and all of that crazy stuff to uh, to kill Korra Sensei in the end? If you <laughs> give it back to the government, they're just going to build more of them. Yeah, uh, it especially feels off when you reveal that uh, you know the the glasses sciencey folk are immediately going into stuff they you know stuff they got that can immediately affect uh positively the lives of people around the world for blood transfusions and other things it's like well shouldn't it go into uh medical research stuff like that it it, it almost feels like it, it'd be the kind of thing that they should keep on hand to be able to come together at the school uh and decide what's the best way to use their largesse not on themselves but helping others and it feels kind of japanese to uh to make it where they just gave the bulk back to the government that was giving it to them to begin with but uh, i feel like it it would have been better if they were the executors of this fortune but we knew you know what what and how they would do with it i did uh, of course enjoy that they purchased the mountain and uh come back and, and keep the school as a momentum in general and that they will make use of it and that we're going to assume that once Nagisa has beaten up all of the uh, delinquents in the new school he is going to he'll uh, be able to found something uh, uh, specific back in uh, back in the old uh, classy uh, building that, uh, that will help out That's that's where Asano started, that's where they were together, so it feels like that will undoubtedly be the future in some fashion. Which also, as it should be. There's certainly more to talk about one way one way or the other, but uh, it, it was a uh, it was a gratifying epilogue, and it wasn't just a, a you know, a quick wrap-up in five minutes from the end or playing during the ending credits. Here are clips of uh, of people in their future case. Certainly a good way to go out. I was I was happy, but you know, I I wanted a, a happier end for all of that fat cash. <laughs> That's what I wanted. They had so much money, man. So all right, <laughs> let's go ahead, let's wrap things Jealousy up talking. there. Uh, so did you have any final comments that you wanted to throw out there before we close things up? I, I mean, nothing in particular. We are missing 
large categories. I mean, I, I like to go through music and, uh, and say you and stuff. So, uh, I think we, we should end this for now and I will leave it up to you if we want to do a, a minor part two to fill in any, any missing gaps or, or any additional conversation that feels like it would be fun in light of these two series existing and, and our particular, uh, loves for them. But as far as the uh, assassination classroom and the story itself, uh, I am tapped. All right. Well, then, in that case, let's go ahead. Let's wrap things up. I'd like to thank CT for joining me again on this longer-than-usual podcast. We will be back, hopefully, again in a month or so. Give us a little bit of leeway with that, because real life takes precedence uh but other than that thank you again and we will talk to you again very soon see you folks